guess we can start talking about the fact that we technically don't have a podcast anymore. <laughs> you act like iTunes is the end-all, be-all to having a podcast. Well, it is. It basically is. Everything, all every, the ecosystem centers around uh, iTunes. That's where it, that's where the iTunes is the canonical like repository of pod. It's the, the directory that all these other apps and everything uses. Not to mention the fact that like sixty percent of our listeners are using iTunes or an iPhone, the podcast app on their phone. Or their cars. No, sixty percent of them <laughs> are using iTunes or the podcast app. I thought a lot of them were using the website. <clears throat> That's a pretty small percentage. Hmm. I'm surprised people, you know, about 10% of them listen. Just, I guess they're, well, I don't know if they listen in iTunes. Maybe, are they, would they be syncing it to their... Um, I think it just depends on the app they're using and how it syncs, because there's that podcast app, which comes with phones. Yeah. Well, that shows up as basically the podcast app. Like, we know th- what that is. But also, there's iTunes is a separate... It has a separate, you know, like user agent, or I don't know how they identify these things. I think it's some kind of user agent, but right. Um, iTunes is separate. And some people just it's the iTunes on their computer that's, you know, downloading our episode. We have probably several hundred people who do that, which is blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the way that used to have to work on an, with an iPhone. You had to subscribe to your podcast in iTunes, and then you had to plug your phone in anytime you wanted to get those podcasts on your phone and sync it over to. Your what was the app called? It was not called Podcasts. It was the iTunes app. I think right, so. right? Yeah, yeah. On your phone. God, can you believe that? That was not that long ago. It just seems like such a bass backwards way of doing it. Crazy. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. So I mean, we don't we still don't know. Did we get hacked? Did our but we don't know. We or don't did know. something screw up? So I guess for people I'm more on I mean, the side of thing that something screwed up. I guess one nice thing about this episode is or probably this and some subsequent ones is that uh, we can just we can let our hair down and relax because no <laughs> one's going to hear this. <laughs> we should just we should make this a hundred percent cussing episode, no bleeping. <laughs> Second that, yeah, <laughs> mother fit bitter, yeah. <laughs> so what I, I mean, I, what's happened is that, you know we started getting reports that. You know, our, something was wrong with our podcast. I think, I think it was Matt Morris, actually, who first alerted me. He's like, hey, look at your podcast in your iTunes. I go to iTunes, and it's showing this Refuge OC. And I go look <clears> that up, and it's, it's, a, it's a, some little church that's trying to get off the ground in, in, I guess, in Orange County. And they've been doing a podcast, and somehow or another, our, po- our iTunes podcast entry now has their artwork, points to their RSS feed, mm-hmm. has their episodes. Right. Like, what the hell is going on? I thought about contacting them and saying, hey, did did you guys know about this? Because I feel like a church wouldn't intentionally hack us. I if so, feel- I, I, I question their fundamental beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like, I, at one point I felt like trying to contact them to see if they if they see anything on their end or how they're registered with iTunes. Because as, on the tools that I have, it looks like I own their podcast at, at this point. Yeah. But really they're squatting on our URL, which exactly. we've had for years. Right. And even if you look at the URL, it, it part of the URL is our podcast name. Right. So that's still in there, I even know, when you go to the listing and our that's reviews probably are there. Die. I mean, we we may lose that URL. We may lose everything. We may. So we, here's what we've already what we know we've lost. Most people probably saw that. So considering that we have sixty percent of people listen on the podcast app or in iTunes, they probably saw this <clears throat> Refuge OC thing and thought, "Oh crap! I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to subscribe to that. Delete." Right. So we've we've lost a ton of people who used to subscribe to our podcast app and they don't. They won't even have it on their phone anymore. Right. Um, 
we will probably lose our URL uh, and all the Google juice that goes along with that. Well, hopefully not. I mean, right now it's hidden. So that listing with their right. content is hidden. But we don't know if this is going to be able to be revived even or if we're going to have to just start with a new, entirely new entry. I mean, we, right. just, we just don't know yet. We don't know anything because no one, you've created some kind of case with iTunes, but they, you know, Apple does not really care about what we want or any of our concerns. <laughs> so. No. I mean, I the last, the last uh, I was going to say correspondence, but the last email I got was, um, I think, Monday night. So I got it on Tuesday morning and it just I, I i submitted the case and got you know the 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 automated notification that said oh here's your case number and then that a day later is when i got a, another email saying we're reviewing your case so it yeah. got assigned to someone yeah. at that point i don't know if that person's actually looked at it yet but it got assigned to someone and so I, that's where we're at it, it's weird you know it's it's a good thing that we don't have sponsors because and and if we if we relied on that revenue i mean some of these you know we could we could probably have a nice little side income from this podcast <clears throat> and it's a good thing we don't or that we don't depend on that because uh, it's it's crazy i mean imagine the look i think of the podcast where it actually provides people's livelihoods mm-hmm. the fact that that it can just like disappear overnight because of something like this yeah that is it's crazy i mean this is so weird it's just it's still it's just very bizarre to me i still don't even know what to think i feel like this is like a bad dream, and I'm going to wake up and be like, oh, that was a weird dream. I had a dream that a church <laughs> hacked our podcast account. It sounds like a dream. It sounds like a nightmare. Well, I I did, I never got a response from this either, but I did submit a, um, I forgot what it was called, but it was like a content dispute, I think, dispution thing. I filed for one of those because whenever I first saw the listing, it still had our logo and everything on it. So at that point, I felt like I could I could at least submit that, hoping that, Getting lawyer lawyers involved, or you know, flagging as someone <laughs> we're gonna, stole. I'm going to sue you, Apple. Well, no, not no. It's it's just I'm, I was basically trying to say that hey, someone took our content or took our logo, you know, and hoping that would get us a better response. Yeah, because um, I had to dig and try to find a way to contact them, and I finally found you know two different ways. That was one, and then I tried this other way as well with the support to get the case, um, yeah. but I never heard back in the content dispute. And by then, the logo had changed to their logo. <laughs> <laughs> so convenient. Oh, those bastards. But it's almost as if their podcast got provisioned and overwrote ours, and then as things started to go through the system, their logo finally replaced ours. Yeah, because I think if you just changed what the feed points to, doesn't that also, yeah. won't that change the logo eventually? It does, it but refreshes? it takes, takes, takes yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. So we may just be recording this into the ether right now. Like we may not even have a podcast anymore. We'll see. Well, you know what? We can, we, let's, we, could, we could have a hipster podcast. We just upload... With MP3s to some directory on some FTP server, people have to FTP download them. Well, you could download them for our website. No, that's not hipster. That's not hipster enough, John. That's <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a hipster podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, well, let's talk about. So you were at Disney Disney World last week, which actually, which actually is what has compounded this because you were gone and just like. I was trying to see. Yeah, you were just like incommunicado, and like well, and that's have, when this happened was last week, and and I don't have access to any of these. In fact, Sarah was like, "You need to get passwords and stuff from him." Like, I, I, don't, I didn't even know we had an account with iTunes. I have no idea how any of this works. But yeah, I, I couldn't do anything. I well, mean, you have just, to have an account to set one up, and it's not like I could set up a dummy account. I had to use my account to to submit it. Your personal iTunes, my account? personal iTunes okay. account. Yeah. 
And even with Squarespace, it's, you know, it's my account. My name's on it. Yeah. So there has to be like someone primary on it whose yeah. information it goes to. Um, but there, even then, there's, there wasn't even any tools. Like now we have this podcast connect tool. But that's only been recently we've had that. Before, you just submitted it. You, you, you filled out a form, submitted it, and you get some email notifications, and that was it. There was no it's, other yeah. way to go in and check or add new things or anything. It's like for a tech company, it's, it's literally the least amount of technology that could possibly be used yes. to implement a podcast directory system. Yes. It's horrible. <laughs> it really is. You could, you could sign up. You could apply to be a podcaster with just a simple uh, curl script that yeah. just uh, posted some <laughs> form fields. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, well, anyway, so how was? Tell us about Disney. So you're at the Disney World in uh, in Orlando, Florida, right? This yeah, is something Orlando that you guys nice. do every well, year or two. Uh, yeah, I guess every about two two and a half years, we we've been like three times now. This this was our fourth time. Fourth, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's it's we it, we go a long enough period in between times that we forget all the bad stuff and we just remember all the good stuff. Yeah, and then we're like, oh yeah, that was so fun. Let's go back. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the magic of Disney. Is they, I, that they, is, they 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 that cast is. some spell on you that makes you forget all the bad stuff. They do, they do, and uh, and then once you forget, you just remember all the good times, and then you you go back and you remember, oh, this wasn't. I mean, it was fun and everything. I'm not gonna say it wasn't fun. I'm just gonna say that you know. But there's there are parts of the experience that are just like ah, uh, like the heat of the day, just Florida, man. Oh, it's it's and it's because it's eighty percent so humidity. Humid. It yeah. rains every day. Well, that was the other thing. It, it ra- <laughs> well, so I wasn't complaining about the rain because it would rain, but it would rain for about an hour, really yeah, hard, okay. just enough to just destroy the any <laughs> hint at or possibility of comfort. Yeah, and but but I was fortunate enough that this rain brought in cold air. So once it once yeah. it rained, it actually stayed kind of cool. Yeah. But the next morning was really hot and humid because by <laughs> nine o'clock the sun is like all the way ahead of you for some reason. I don't know. There's like some warping, some warping of the sun in Florida to where by 9 or 10 o'clock, it's directly over you. I wonder if that's... Are you closer to the equator in Orlando than we are here in maybe. Dallas? Maybe. so. Maybe. Maybe. All I know is it was just freaking hot. And um, I there were some shirts that I packed that breathe really well and I didn't sweat as much. And there were some shirts I packed where I was just like drenched. just And I just had to really pick careful about what I wore yeah. because it was just, you just had to manage that. Lots of gold bond. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, is my son would get tired towards the middle of the day and hot. And so inevitably we're at the other end of the park and he doesn't want to walk anymore. And so I have to carry my, <laughs> my what, 40, 45 pound kid all the way across to the, to the other side of the park to get out just so we can go back to the hotel and rest and come back in the evening, which was, which is kind of usually the, the best thing to do when you're, when you're dealing with that is, you know, stay in the morning. Once it starts to get too hot, Get out, come back in the evening. Yep. Mm. Um, Sweaty balls. Let's <laughs> not say anything about that. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, I mean, a lot of the rides and everything, they have like an indoor, you know, you know, so once, you, if you're waiting in a line 90% of the time, you go indoors and there's at least some some shade. Yep. It's not always air conditioned, but at least there's shade. Right. Uh, so it wasn't too bad. And then you have the fast passes and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So. But I, I I do want to talk about an experience I had on Sunday, which was non-Disney related. Okay. Uh, it was our first night there. We just flew in, and so we wanted to have a really nice dinner. So we got reservations at the, I, I think it's fairly new. It might be less than a year. Uh, it's uh, Four Seasons. Okay. That, there, well, that's, that's a hotel, right? Is it the restaurant there? Or Yeah, there's a restaurant okay. there called uh, Kappa. Okay. And um, so we went up there that night, and... Uh, it just so happened. I don't know if it just so happened or what, but they had a special, had a special thing there, and this was a uh, matsusaku beef 
or Matsusaka okay. beef. Okay. And that's 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 another one of those kind of Kobe varieties where they like really pamper the cows and they breed them for flavor or for um you know they make them lazy. I think I think these beers they feed or these beers <laughs> These cows, I think they feed them beer and make them lazy, and they just get all marbled and massage them and all that kind so of stuff. So it, it's a black-haired wag, wagyu. Mm-hmm. It's known, also known as Japanese black. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds delicious. So um, they they had it on special, and I decided to order it. I was like, this has got to be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You're not going to come across this beef. Now, I know this this beef is really hard to make. I think the only like there's only like 1,200 cows a year or so that that actually get approved to be slaughtered and and distributed. So it's it, it's it's very expensive and it's really hard to get out of Japan and into other places because you know they 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 really care about that beef over there. They regulate it, they highly regulate it. They sell it, you know, like crazy. They make a lot of money off of it. So I it's it's, it's like one of those things where where when you when you get it here in America, you're like, is this real? Is this a fake? Are they just calling it? Because you, you remember, like Kobe was like the biggest thing, and then all of a sudden, like everyone had Kobe beef. Like I think Jack in the Box at one point uh, had a Kobe burger. Uh, yeah, it's such. A and scam. I was like, what? That, that <laughs> I think if make... you had like point zero one percent, and you can call it. I mean, there's no. Yeah, we we don't. Reg- I don't think we regulate. We don't no. have any regulations in this country for that. Yeah. So I was really skeptical for one thing um, about it, but I kept asking a lot of questions about where it's from. Even the menu had, you know documentation on on all this kind of stuff i found out there's actually a, a number that goes along with every cut that i could have asked for and, and verified but i didn't of course um so anyways i ordered it and uh <laughs> i'll tell you guys this it was really expensive uh it's not something i normally do it's not something i normally afford to do but it was vacation i was there with my family my we took my parents along so there's, there's, a, there's a reason you you bill like 70 hours a week so, <laughs> so this this beef uh was 25 dollars an ounce Okay. How many ounces did you get? Uh, and that 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 also reassured me is because they had very specific ounces. So they had very specific cuts, mm-hmm. and you had to buy that cut, yeah. and that cut was a certain ounce. Um, so I got one that was a three point six ounces. No, oh, so that's um, hundred bucks. I mean, under hundred bucks. Yeah, it's about hundred bucks. Didn't no nice meal ounce, not bad. Uh, so I I, t- I kind of just ordered it as an appetizer basically because yeah. it was it's a small portion, and I wanted everyone to try it. And so there were six of us, so mm-hmm. um, we tried it, and it was. It was incredible. Now, what cut was it? Was like a ribeye. This or? was the ribeye okay. cut. Yeah. Oh, good. That's perfect. Um, so it was the ribeye cut, and it was it was amazing. It was it was interesting because my, my daughter she coined the phrase "melty meat" because that's what she called it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it did it's have extremely marbled. I'm looking at photos. It's right extremely now. marbled, yeah. and and it, it it's not like there's no chewing. I mean, there is a little bit of chewing, yeah. but for the most part, the texture is that it's really soft. Yeah. Um, it's almost like when you get a ribeye and there's that kind of really fatty end towards the end of the bone. Right. That kind of tenderness. Yeah. Um, but instead of gristly, that gristly flavor you get along with it, it was just this very concentrated beef flavor. Yeah. You didn't get any kind of gristliness out of it, but it felt like you were eating that part of it because it just kind of melted. It was just mm. like nothing. I, wow. I, I made the comment that I, you know, this is the steak to buy if you don't have teeth, if you want to eat beef, because <laughs> you just gum it. I will. I'm going to keep <laughs> that in mind. <laughs> um. And and fortunately, I was able to order a, a ribeye after that, and so I, I could compare the textures of yeah. the meat. And it, there was a difference in texture. I mean, the, there was a difference in the flavor and the concentration of the beef flavor, and there was a difference in the texture. I mean, you could just tell the the major difference between the two. I, mean, cuts. I get why sushi comes from Japan, and it, you know, they're they're they have a you know they're an island, right? There's just water everywhere. Water, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but why? How is it they produce the best beef? Shouldn't we be kicking their ass when it comes to beef? <laughs> Come on. 
We should, right? I, I, have some, I mean, Texas. So I'm looking at the, 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 uh, the source of all truth about uh, your Matsu, what's it called? Matsusaka beef? Yeah. Got some interesting facts. So they, they, these cows take roughly three years to mature, um, and only virgin female cows can be sold as Matsusaka. So you got a virgin. Good job. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, all the cows must be registered, and they do get a 10-digit ID. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? <clears throat> I, I want to know, like, what they what their diet is and stuff, but it's really not telling me that. Yeah, I was trying to find that as well, because in the conversations I had, the guy told me that they feed them beer and among other things, and they, they basically keep them as lazy as possible. Yeah. I'm sure they chew their food for them, too. It'd be interesting to try that in a Japanese restaurant, because they apparently have their own ways they're supposed to be eating. Like, the one one way is it's called the shabu-shabu, and it's they take yeah. really thin slices, and they just dip it really quick in kelp broth, which is probably still basically completely raw, and then eat it. Yeah, that was one of the things I asked, because I wanted to understand how they served it. Because I've, I've heard of this steak before. I've heard of the... And, and when I heard about it, that's how they served it. When I researched it and saw some videos of someone that had some of this... Was they they were really thinly sliced and they just kind of dipped them and it's almost like a like a what is that fondue? A carp- oh, okay. Um, it's like a f- fondue carpaccio. Yeah, or carpaccio fondue. Yeah. Where you just you had that boiling water, you know, or broth, I should say, and then you dip the really thin meat in it. You know, it's not too long, and then you take it out and eat it. And that's the way I saw them eat it. Hmm. Um, so I was surprised when they said it. They kept it as a as a they cut it as a steak, and of course they sliced it. And it was it was there was a good I think seven slices out of that. That we were able to have. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so well, that's pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, let's move along, I guess. So let's, let's try it because we want to try to keep this short. It's re- little uh, metadata here. It's le- way past our recording time because you just kind of popped in randomly and we weren't even planning to record since we don't have a podcast anymore, but we decided to because we're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and also because you're going to be gone for two weeks. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know. I, we're gonna, I'll try to take the recorder again. Apparently, we figured out what happened last time, which was the our card had gone bad. I guess memory cards go bad. So we have a new card, and hopefully it'll work. So I don't know. So maybe if I can most try to record something, I'll get... Uh, I wonder if it's because we stored it in there, and maybe for some reason... It's been stored in a perfect environment, though. You know, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? I mean, whatever. Uh, I have a question, though. Um, I've, I've run into this... I'm, I've, I've got a new, relatively new project, and I'm, I'm getting the, you know, the uh, Jeremy Ross trademarked, you know, continuous integration metadata kind of deployment system set up. And we've hit one, okay, let me back up a little bit. So one of the things, if you want to do, if you want to have like a, you know, continuous integration and, and just really track your whole org as metadata, so it's all version controlled and, you know, have that whole thing. You basically, I mean, it's the, a good policy to track as much meta, metadata as you can, like all, basically all of it. Now, it's, there's reasons for sometimes excluding certain ones, but in general, like you're, you're tracking all of the metadata so that, mm-hmm. you know, when you deploy a new workflow, the fields for that will, will be there and, the, you know, the permissions, uh, the profiles will have access to those fields and all, you know, it's, it sucks if you leave some of that stuff out because then it's like just, now you're back to manual work. It kind of defeats the purpose completely. Yeah. Um, and part of that is, you know, think about how managed packages work. So, uh, you can install a managed package in your org that that um, adds, you know, custom fields to your existing objects, or at least to standard objects, like to your account and contact, right? Mm-hmm. And they're they're managed fields, but they're still like they're 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 managed custom fields on on all your standard objects. And so, when you pull all that, you know, you're like, say, you you know, pull all your metadata down. You look at the account metadata file. 
uh, you'll see these managed these custom fields from these managed packages in there. Right. And also, you'll see the the completely custom objects that are managed custom objects from that package. And right. you want to track those too because you can add your own custom fields to those custom objects, right? And, right? and I'm just using a simple example, just fields, but there's all kinds of other ways where you can customize their metadata and they're customizing your metadata. So it all gets mixed together, which is, don't get me started on the Salesforce architecture they've chosen for all this. I think it's a disaster. But they, all everyone's metadata just is in, again, it's in the happy soup. Right. And so you have to track it all. Well, the a problem arises in which a lot of these packages get updated fairly regularly. And also nowadays, the pa- the publishers can auto-push updates to your org. To I, mm-hmm. I think you can turn that off. I haven't really gone to check. Um, but the problem is... I don't is, know if that's a feature that you can turn off. I, I think it just depends on, I don't on know. what they expose. Yeah. And, and also, some of these ISVs, they are getting in your... Um, we have to we have to create cases with them to update the packages. So I guess some of them I don't know if they just because it's it's they can't automate it enough or whatever, but they have to get in your organ and, and update these packages for some reason. I don't understand. I, why. I've seen that. You have to give them access. You have to grant them access as yeah. you know because when you go to grant access, you'll see all of your managed publishers in there that you've installed packages from. It's probably because there's some things that aren't available in the metadata they have to. Uh, there, yeah, I mean there definitely are. So uh, so anyway, so. Uh, yeah, my point was even if you can like prevent some of them from updating. I mean, if you if you're going to prevent them from updating, then they're probably going to have to be manually installed. So, and so the problem comes when like um, uh, the, the, one thing is like not all updates will happen to the, all your sandboxes in production at the same time. Like per, one sandbox might get updated to a new version, produ- production does get updated for a couple months after that. Hmm. And so what can happen is you can uh because like let's say let's say your sandbox gets updated and there's a new custom a new managed custom field well you're going to track that in your metadata you're going to commit it to the git repository and then eventually when that gets pushed to production uh it's going to fail because you can't create a managed custom field yourself right in your org it has to come through the package so there's, I mean, there's a many, there's a million ways this can fail. So the solution I've always had, and this hasn't been a huge problem. I mean, it becomes a pain in the butt every once in a while when like something does update in Sandbox not in production, but there hasn't been that much churn. Well, for some reason, this project I'm working on now. I mean, every day it almost seems like some Sandbox gets updated and the other ones don't, and it just is, it just keeps breaking our continuous integration. Mm. And so I, I, you know, I'm just, so it's like is it the, just one application or is it a, a bunch? There's of them? several. There's a few of them. There's a, there's um. I won't name any names, but there's a um, there's like a credit card processing type of application thing. There's an accounting application hmm. that we're having the same problem on. I wonder and, if a lot of it has to do with the summer release that that just got. I don't. Came out. I don't think it. I mean, I'd love to think I mean, that it's was just something. That like was that, such a big I, update that I think people were just waiting for it to go live so they could finally start pushing up. Well, this and this has been after those. I, I don't. Yeah, it could be like that. I see. I see. We're saying now the summer's out. Like they're pushing all their updates that are related, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't know. And obviously, the more packages you have, mm-hmm. the bigger your surface area for this happening is. Right. And uh, so yeah, it's just like these shifting. You know, the shifting sands of managed packages. I. What, how, how are you supposed to manage this? How do I do my Salesforce DX? How do I do my continuous integration when I can't I don't control when these things update? And I don't know how, I don't know what the way you're supposed to do this is. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I probably am. I hope I am because then someone will tell me and I'll fix it and that'll be great. But I'm afraid I'm not doing it wrong and it just sucks. <laughs> well, what you're doing wrong is you're tracking all the metadata. <laughs> <laughs> 
if there's a way not to track all the metadata, metadata and have it have things not have that not cause problems, then I would do that too. <laughs> but I mean, in my experience, uh, the best thing to do is, is to track all metadata. I mean, you'll you'll avoid more problems than you'll you'll cause. I no, I know. know. I, that, that was more sarcasm, yeah, tongue in cheek sarcasm. I know. I, I ignored it. <laughs> Can't ignore me. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, me. I'm, I'm basically just asking if anyone has uh, tips for me because I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I've kind. I mean, I've I've gotten to where like I've actually contacted these package vendors and I've and I've asked them because I've had to actually get them to sync our versions across different sandboxes and, and production. And so we're kind of at a good place right now. But I mean, I just feel like it's at any point in time now. This I mean, this can happen at any, at any moment. Mm-hmm. And it, the tricky thing is, is you know, generally the way you have to work as a developer in an environment like this is, you know, you might create some custom fields and you're creating some Apex different things, and then, you know, you so you've got your local like Apex changes and, and Visual Force that you've created locally in a hard drive, but before you commit that and, and put and push that up to the repository, you actually have you need to do like a full metadata pull to get all your declarative stuff that you changed, mm-hmm. like that field that you're going to need and whatever you know, and all the profiles that changed, right? And so you're. If you if you've had a managed package update, you're going to get that too. But because it's mixed in and there's so much metadata that's art that's changed because of work you done, you may not even notice. You may not even notice that that slipped in there, and you're going to commit it in and push it up, and then that's going to you're going to break the build. The build is broke, and and, you, and you've stopped the development process because the next time someone does a a, a fetch or a pull or something, they're going to and then deploy that to the org, it's going to fail. And they're going to be stuck. They can't get any work done now. Now we ever, now we got to get, everyone's got to get on Slack or get on a call. We got to figure out what the hell happened. And it's just, it's like a daily thing. So what about ignoring the package or that, uh, lack of a better word, namespace? Can you just set up a rule that says anything that starts with character, underscore, underscore, ignore? There, there probably is. And, uh, you know, and like, uh, I'm still using Solenopsis, but, and it's not smart enough to know, like, if you do it, like, say you, you, I, and this, is, this gets tricky because you, you, there may be some things to ignore, but there's a lot of things you can't ignore. Like, you, you have to use their custom objects because you might be adding custom fields to those custom objects and you're going to be setting profiles and things for those custom objects. And you know how the profiles work. When you pull down profiles, you have to pull down all the metadata at once because it only the profiles will only contain yeah. uh, instructions for the metadata that came down with yet, which is weird. Another, yeah. I don't under, I would love for someone to, because maybe there's a reason, but that doesn't, I don't, without knowing what the reason is, it seems like a really bad design for them to do it this way. Well, I don't, I, I ran across that, and at the time, the way I rationalized it was that if you're downloading profiles and, it, and it's relevant to a specific set of metadata, when you upload that, the only thing that's going to change in that profile is the stuff that was in your package. So it, that way you're not overriding something that someone did in production. Because I, I think at the time, people doing stuff in production versus sandbox or you know half and half was, was an accepted practice. And it still kind of is. You still can't do that. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the the idea, or at least my rationalization, is that if you have someone who's doing something in production and you make a change, that because your your version of that profile is out of date, by deploying the entire profile, you're going to overwrite stuff. And, and that's if people are changing profiles in production. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's not allowed. I mean, but I'm just saying. It's, I wish it was. I wish it was allowed. It's just not. It can't. But it could be, also it just be, be the, the size of the metadata. I mean, that's a that's a big object. Yeah. It, it is no, it is big, and I think it's actually. I think it may be also co- like computationally just expensive to generate the whole profile, and a lot of orgs have, you know, dozens if not into the hundreds of profiles that they're huge. Like he's, they, they are, they are. I mean, it's one of the biggest metadata uh, 
types, I think. Well, not to mention um, permission sets as well. I mean, that, I've seen an explosion of those too. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm just looking for looking for feedback. I was going to say though, the, the, another reason why I feel like right now, anyway, with my current tooling chain, I, I can't exclude like maybe custom uh, managed f- custom fields or whatever. It's because if if a custom field, if I've excluded it from my source code, Solenopsis will say, "Oh, I see this custom field in production that's not in your source code. That means I need to delete it." So it'll try to delete those out of production, which will fail because you can't delete managed items like that. All right. So. Okay. Um, what else? Have you looked at the this? Uh, I guess Apex now has the ability to do metadata from Apex. I've heard about it, but I haven't. I haven't so tried before to use it. this, um, there were. I these, didn't think that was there, GA though. I think it is. I could maybe. I mean, it's definitely available. I don't know if it's fully GA or not. But before this, you know, I think it was Andy Foss. It might have been someone else. Has a. This, I mean, it's 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 clever, I guess, but it's still a horrible hack. And basically, um, your Apex makes a call out <laughs> or something mm-hmm. that to the metadata, actual you know the SOAP metadata API, and that's yeah. how you can kind of do it. But I just and I know there are use cases. I think it's I think the big use cases are for ISVs to be able to do metadata stuff. But this is another example of Salesforce is going so opposite of actual cloud computing because the trend in cloud computing is. Not only infrastructure as as code, but also you know what they call immutable infrastructure. I mean, that's like for example what what Docker is. And if you think about the way twelve factor works, um, or even even before Docker, Docker, when people like you know Netflix, they would basically they, what the way their build process works is the, the output of their you know final build is an Amazon image, is an AMI, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's the it's the it's the full image of the the disk or whatever the you know the right. VM, uh, and and it doesn't. When I mean it boots up, it's ready to go. It's not um, you. W- if something wasn't working right, you wouldn't get in there and say, "Oh, let me apt get and install this package because we forgot to install this." And I oh change this configuration. It's like no, you don't do that at all. You go back and you fix it in source code, and you and you bake it, and you run your build and bake another right. AMI. And that's the way that's the that's the way it's all working. That's the way Docker works now, and, and that's or that's the way you're supposed to use it. I mean, there's 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 other strategies. There's like the you know, like the chef and puppet or configuration management type of thing, but that's definitely and that still that still has its it's it's um, I don't want to say it's dying or whatever. But it definitely still has its place for certain types of things, but like this, the mutable infrastructure is like definitely engineering wise is is where everything's going. And this this is kind of something in the Salesforce world where we're doing the opposite. <laughs> we're saying we're actually adding the ability to at runtime. You know, modify your system instead of considering it a baked thing. And 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 the the real thing I worry about with this is, you know, I'm tracking. I'm doing the Salesforce DX thing. I'm I was I'm I was I've been doing Salesforce DX bef, you know before Salesforce DX was cool before it was even a thing. I've been doing this for <laughs> you know God, I don't know how many years now. Yeah. And if some if if things are able to change metadata at runtime. How do I capture that in my source code? Because what happens is it's going to change itself at runtime, and then the next time I deploy, that's just going to get blown away. It's going to because it didn't get captured. I didn't even know about it. None, yeah. none of these systems are taking that into account. I mean, production is is the end of the chain, not at the beginning. I mean, it doesn't feed back in anything. It's you know any change you get made in production, it, nothing's capturing that. Right. 
So I just don't know how I'm going to handle this or what, uh, what, I mean, my guidance to clients and things are just, I mean, and I don't know, maybe this is a, maybe in some ways this will be a useful tool for me. I haven't really looked into that much. I just, I'm thinking just get at a high level. It very much concerns me. And I, <laughs> I'm like, why is Salesforce spending their time on this? <laughs> <laughs> that That is a good point. I didn't, I didn't even think about that, that scenario, that, that kind of concern when I heard about it. I mean, all, all I could think about is there are certain things that you can do with the API that you can't do from within Apex. And our solution to that has been, okay, I'll just I'll just do an API call to do that. I mean, there are things that are data that you have to update on, that you can only update through the API. Uh, I think I think for me it was um, currency. Uh, mm. What was it? What did they call that? It's like advanced currency where you actually have a monthly ca- currency calculation or whatever. It changes based on you know well, external factors like if you track the currency rates of everything, you you have like a time frame and the I know initially like custom metadata types didn't there was no UI for editing those either, right? It was you had to modify those via the API. I could be wrong. I think so. Yeah. Maybe. Um another scenario was, you know, well, if you want to be efficient with, you know, adding if you want to give someone the ability to run your logic from from one of their custom objects, uh, you had to tell them <laughs> or get a login to their system, like like we talked about, and create a trigger for them in that environment. Okay. Um, so this could be a way to to actually, you know, well, in, in an automated way, create a trigger for an object. Well, you should just install a package that has that. Put it package no, it I like mean, another. Like let, any, let's say let's say you have some some you bought a product and it, it, it calculates some some number. It's some some w- super widget calculation routine. Okay. Or let's, let's do roll up, let's do rollup helper. That's a better example. Okay. Rollup helper. So you have a custom object and you want to attach rollup helper. Well, rollup helper. What it's done traditionally. I'm gonna have to I, I'm gonna have to censor every time you say that because they're not a sponsor. <laughs> I don't like their product, but but I think they've gotten more efficient. Now they're really it. not going to be a sponsor. No, they've gotten. Thanks, they've thanks got, for blowing another sponsor I, opportunity for us, John. I think they've gotten more efficient, and I think the way they've done that is is I think they do actually create a trigger autom- in an automated fashion versus what they used to do, which was schedule something to run like oh, every. You're talking about they have to create they have to create triggers on custom objects that they have no way of even knowing exist. At the right. Time. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the way that um, God is it is it. Um, is it Andy Fawcett again? Someone's got a the declarative DLRS or whatever declarative something roll up summary. It's basically if it's does it's very similar to roll up helper except it's open source and free. Mm. And it yeah it um it creates. I'm wondering how it does it. I, I bet he do, I bet he uses his um that little API. It's the API reach around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 uh, um to to call the metadata API from. Yeah, from a callout basically. Yeah, because um, yeah, he's got to create triggers on your custom objects to do rollups. So, and then those are the more intrusive things that I think contribute to the argument that you had. Now, one recent example I had was I needed to get some some metadata information about a list view that wasn't accessible through the tables, and so I had to basically do a reach around and call and get <laughs> and get get the metadata for that for that list view so it's, I could do something with it. It's, it's kind of a good metaphor, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it works. Oh, um, so I've been playing with uh, test setup a little bit more at the at test setup annotation because you know I did some, just some quick and dirty uh, little uh, tr- uh, what I guess comparisons or time mm-hmm. time tests the other day and, and it looked like for some things anyway test setup was might be a lot faster. So I've just you know I've been uh, as I'm creating new tests I've been using test setup. Um, of course, the challenge is uh, anything you create with test setup. If you want to keep references to those in memory, like you, if you can set them on a static, on like on a static field on on your test class, but then when the tests run, those they're not there anymore. They're just null. Like you didn't set anything. Right. 
Um, and and the, one of the ways I got around with that was like, if I created an account, I would have a constant on my test class that would be that name. And then I'd go query for that. Yes, for that you have name. to query, right? Yeah. And, um, and so I thought, well, yeah, because I, I think we talked about this. Like, I, I, maybe I'll do a combo of, of the test setup annotation and a static initializer. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll create the data with the test setup because that's what seems to save time is for some reason, DML and that thing seems to be much faster. I don't know why. And then in the static initializer block, I'll query those and populate my my static field so I have references to those in, in all my test me- different test methods. Hmm. Well, the problem with that is that the static block seems to run before the test setup annotation does. So when my static block runs, no. the, the queries don't return anything. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> so, so now I'm back to, in each test method, I have to basically query to get those. But I thought, oh, well, I'll just create another test setup that I'm ha- that 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 will run that I'll call from each test method that will mm-hmm. query those and populate those. But now I'm back to the pro. Now we're back to like we don't even have a test framework. I you have to remember to call that second test setup method that does your querying right. from every test method. And of course, what happens all the time? You forget you, you okay. I'm gonna write a new test class a uh, new test method here. And you write your test, you're like, damn it, why is this why is this failing? I don't understand. Like a simple test. And then, you know, after staring at it or then or calling someone up and Skype and explaining to them, like you start explaining, of course, you realize that, oh shit, I'm not I'm not calling my test setup method. Because you have to call it manually. Right. We're back to we're back to this. You know, now you're calling your test setup method manually. Is there, I, is I there am if, I missing I, something? Is, I there, is there a way to, to I don't know? This? I wonder if from the setup, if you can if you can initialize a static class or initialize another class that has all those variables and set them from within the test setup. Is that possible? I don't know. That's making my brain hurt, maybe. <laughs> it's too late in the day for that. Uh, no, I, I've been trying to use it more, but I, I have found that it doesn't work for every scenario. I still find myself, you know, recreating data over and over just because I need var- variances of that data. And I need I need the variance at the time it's created, not after the fact. I can't. It's not like I need it to be that particular state mm-hmm. When I associate it to this record, and then I need to be in a different state when after that association. Okay. Otherwise, my test scenario doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so for situations like that, you know, I'll do some combination of that. But a lot of times, I'm just like, well, I need this reference. I don't have to query it. I'm just going to put it in here. So it, it, I don't. I don't know why I feel so. Why I have some such a fear of querying. Fear of querying. <laughs> I just. I just do. I just. I just. I just. I, I just know it's going to take more time, or I feel like. The results or the system's going to fail me at some point. I, I feel dirty about having to query my test data because at least when I have it in memory and I do an insert and I have that ID, I know that's my ID. I know that it's not someone someone else's ID or, right. or some yeah. operation that created that record also creates another account. Like maybe I, I had scenarios where you create an account, but it also creates a parent account automatically. So in that scenario, if I was to query for the accounts, now there's two accounts. I can't just say create an account and then query because, and assume that the one that's there is the one that I created. Right. And so now you have to like give it, make sure you have to give that account, you know, you have to give them, uni- make sure you give them unique names. Which is what I've done with the constant scenario. <laughs> and then, and, but now you're back to, you know, you're creating like static string constants right. to, so you don't, you know, fat finger the name of the account and you're using, the, you know, it's just like, oh, now my tests are complicated. Yeah. And that's one thing that um, reading these, you know, testing best practice books, uh, the test should be simple. I mean, you really don't want complicated tests complex mm-hmm. tests because then you need tests for your tests. Yeah. Like you have to debug your tests because they're so complicated. Right. And that's why I mean it doesn't make me it doesn't make me feel dirty to have to query things. It does make me feel dirty though that I'm either copying pasting queries into each 
test method, or if I extract those to a setup method, I still have to remember to call that setup method from each test method. That that's that's dirty. Yeah. I also don't like doing my queries in line, so I often have to create, you know, a bunch of helper methods yeah, like, to query. Because yeah. I don't like having my queries in line with my other functions. Yeah, it really it really muddles things. Mm-hmm. It just it does, yeah, especially with the format away. that I do, because I, I like to indent them all, so, yeah. which makes it easier to pop fields in and out and everything. So it just becomes way too wordy. It it has no real value to be in line in the function. So I always like to pull them out. So now my classes are just getting bigger. Yeah. Well, I'm looking through my other stuff. So I've had, I could talk about, you know, some unfortunate, really annoying performance issues I've been having. Again, on the tooling and metadata API side. Mm. Um, let me let me get to just, just talk about more fun with metadata. So th- there's another thing they're still doing. So all orgs come with, um, you know, the ideas object you get. Mm-hmm. Um, all orgs come with, that uh, come with two list de- two default list views for that object that have the exact same name and uh, in the exact same API name too, and uh-huh. so that's actually invalid metadata. So when you go to dump that metadata and then commit it into your repository and that and try to push that to other sandboxes or orgs, it fail it'll fail every time. You get a duplicate you know it's a duplicate view name. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this still a problem? Um, another funny thing was. Uh, I guess, um, oh, I know what it was. Every profile did not have a default record type for content version. And it's, which is weird because if you go to edit a profile and, and set what record types are available to that profile, mm-hmm. you know, there's a dropdown for which is the default, which is the default record type for this, um, for this profile. And you have to pick one. You really can't not have a default record type. For for any given any, for every object that has a record type, that has record types, you have to have a default, and it can be on a, it's on a profile by profile basis. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the all these profiles for the content version object, uh, there was there was two record types for the content version, and none of those profiles had a default set. And so I go to you know deploy this metadata to another org, and it's like I get an error for every profile because the, I'm not I cannot not specify a default. Oh, I and see. I go look in the, the source org, I'm like, hmm, yeah, there's no default here. And I go to edit it and to set the default, but before I say before I actually picked a default, I just thought, well, I'm gonna just save this right back. The UI won't even let you save it. Right? Because it shouldn't. It shouldn't let you save it. But that's that's one of those things like it feels it's like it's almost I mean, obviously it's enforced at the metadata level, but it and it's enforced at the UI level. But so, it, for some reason the system is there's just so many places like this where Salesforce could get in an invalid state. Yeah. And the UI, if you ever go in to edit it, will make you fix it. And the metadata API will let you know, but it's in an invalid state. Just like the Salesforce should not generate invalid metadata. When you dump the metadata from an org, you should be able to deploy that to like your scratch org or whatever. And mm-hmm. you can't. You just can't. Yeah. It's I, just I, like there's I, so many little of these little, you know, <clears throat> little gremlins in the metadata system that I'm just, I mean, I just spend so much of my day dealing with this crap. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to happen with a system like this. I mean, I, it just, it just. I think what what matters is the frequency at which it happens, or 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 how long these problems are allowed to persist. Yeah, I mean, and there's going to be bugs, right? I mean, when they come out with a new feature, this there's going to be a bug here or there in the metadata API. I mean, the, the thing is though, some of these things. I mean, I've I've gone back and I I've found where like I I or myself or someone else. The worst thing is when you find yourself asking on Stack Exchange or Stack Overflow like four years ago about something. Yeah. And that, that, that's, that's going to be my point, is that 
it's like they, these, these aren't they, getting fixed. These are not, not getting, getting fixed. fixed. And then and then we know that lightning's tank priority. So a lot of these things that that are considered, you know, legacy, I guess we'll say, uh, I, I know they're not going to get fixed. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think that, that, and mo- most bugs are, that are classified as apex bugs are going to get fixed anytime soon. There's there's not much stronger way for Salesforce to say they don't care about this than letting these things fester for years. Well, I just think that uh, it's uh, they just it's just I, I wouldn't say it's not that they don't care. I, I think I just think it's just they have this laundry list of things to do and they're prioritizing I, lightning ahead of everything. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm just judging them based on their actions. Uh, well, that's, that's and and, 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 the, and the result they have on me and my clients. Who are we? Are customers of Salesforce? No, we. Well, you're, you're. We're not the customers. Sure, we are. No, we're not. I mean, I work with we're my not clients. The target audience. My clients are. I mean, com- companies who use Salesforce and they the to use Salesforce, you got to do this stuff. They already sold the license. <laughs> I know, sold three year three year contract, baby. <laughs> We're we're not their customers. We'll take that for stakes in their three years. We'll the take that for stakes at renewal time. We'll, we'll talk about this. The customers are the CIO that, that paid the check, <laughs> and yeah. once they got them for three years, more, more, three more likely years, the CMO. After three years, you've built enough technical debt that you're not gonna oh. you're not gonna jump ship. They've got their hooks in you. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So we have um, we probably should wrap up because this is done. Forty five minutes here. Um, we have a uh, trailhead next. Trailhead. Uh, I say trailhead X. Trailhead X. I mean, they capitalize the D though. Trail, trail, then it's trailhead, trailhead DX, trailhead DX. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say trailhead X. Trella, Trella DX. It's a horrible it's name. Like Trella, but it's DX. a stupid name. Ah, eh, come on. Now you're now you're just being mean. I am being mean don't, because don't. you know why? Because it was supposed to be a developer conference, and when they stuck trailhead on it, it became this this general purpose. You know what? Thing for everyone to go and learn and do trailhead. I will report. I will report on back on this. I hope you do. Even I though you, even though Salesforce doesn't acknowledge that we report on things because they deny our press pass, <laughs> jerks. I will report back because I I feel like on the first trailhead X, which was a, was it a year ago or six months ago, whenever it was, that it was there was actually quite a bit of uh, interesting you know nerdy developer stuff that came out of that. Now, you I, remember, do you remember the new compiler that everyone was so you know, horny about? What, whatever happened to that? How, how, is, how does that benefit us? How did that trickle down to us as a benefit? Well, that's why at this point, my, st- my standpoint is it's still not for us. I'm hoping when you go, you'll, you'll be like, you know what? It's for us. I saw a bunch of good stuff. I saw, I got to talk to a I lot think of good we people. Will. I think we will. And, then, and that'll change my viewpoint. But, you know... <sighs> I mean, the reality is, is if Salesforce still wants to grow and they want to go from a 10 billion to 20 billion, I mean, they really have got it from just an engineering perspective, they've got to improve a lot of this. They have to. Well, their they, customers, they do, but they're, they're, they're still, getting bigger and bigger customers who are going to demand this. I, I just, I just, I look at the marketing for Trailhead at Trailhead X, and I still see quite a bit of lip service to to non developer stuff. I know, and I, I'm hoping that yeah. that's just that's just me reading into the marketing or me or some kind of bias that I've built up over the last you know year or so that it's that it's existed. Well. I'll say that I feel like Salesforce is acting like what what they are, which is a, a CRM company. They need to act more like an Amazon or something, you know. They, and go off and well, buy some grocery stores. I mean, hey, Bit, Benioff said it. <laughs> Salesforce only does one thing, which is CRM. Oh, so they don't do de- plat- developer no, platforms. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just CRM. Had to get a clip in. So, yeah, and I've, I've been thinking about Dreamforce. I was actually looking at um, hotel costs during that week because, mm-hmm. you know, the the... Dates have been announced. So it's uh, November, I think, 9th through 7th through 11th or 9th through 11th, well, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And they're already, they're, 
for like crappy hotels, they're already going for like six or seven hundred bucks a night. So is is it that they're booked up, or it's just because they know something's coming? They've up the rate. I think the yeah the hotels all know what it's coming up, and of course as soon as they announce the dates, people start going out and booking things too. So immediately See, that, the demand that, that jumped further, up. That further that further gives makes me nervous. I mean, well, okay, here, here's another. Let's well, make you nervous. You're not going to go. No, it, it it makes me nervous that that the people that are attending, and and if they oh if they're the, the wrong people, right? If, if they're yeah. if the wrong people are intent are attending in mass, that means that Salesforce is going to cater to that mass. They're they're not going to cater to the developer because they have, you know, citizen developers there. They have more citizen developers than developers, so of course they're going to want to tailor the content to the to the citizen developers. How do, you, how do you extrapolate that though from hotel costs though? I don't understand this. That's quite a logical leap because I don't think that many developers are there oh, are going. No, nah. It's I, I well, still all, I see people talking about oh they're ready for Trailhead X and they're 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 the admin or there's someone else and they're like yeah. oh, I'm going I'm going I'm going and and I'm like well, I want this to be a developer I mean, you do you have Dreamforce you do realize that Dreamforce is a it's basically a conference of salespeople right I mean that's what it is I mean Salesforce is a CRM company yeah. I've it's, also it's heard a lot of salespeople I've also heard of developers who aren't going because they want to go to Dreamforce and their company will only pay for one they want to go to Trailhead conference <laughs> they want to go to Trailhead is that what you meant. Yeah, that they won't go to Trailhead because they want to go to Dreamforce. I mean, I've, I've heard people saying that they're still opting for Dreamforce. I just listened to the latest Code Coverage podcast, and uh, Stephen Harrod said that he's not going to Trailhead. They're, he's, you know what he said? He said, they're actually, we're going to send, our, my company is sending some of our developers, as if he's not a developer. I know he's like a, you know, like a, a some uh, hoity-toity VP now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably doesn't even know how to code anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um but he, so he's going to go to Dreamforce because well, that's that's, he's more. I guess he's more on the business side or whatever. He's and, you know, and so he, he's going to go to Dreamforce. He's not doing Trailhead. And if that's the case, then then that's great because I want to see that. I want to see developers there. I want to. I want to. Uh, even though I'm not going this year, but that's I, the problem. Stephen is a kind of developer. I think I want to see it at at Dreamforce uh, and at Trailhead. I know. It's tough, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. But I mean, okay, so I, I wanted to break down like this, you know, going, what's, what would it look like to go to Dakota Dreamforce? So one thing I'm considering is just not even getting a ticket. Because I'm thought, why would I pay a thousand? Because I know, self, I mean, I'll, I'll apply to go as a press, but I know Salesforce is going to reject me. Yeah, they're going to reject me. So I'm going to, so I'd have to buy a ticket. But then I thought, well, I don't, I'm really not, based on my previous experiences, I'm probably not going to go to any sessions. The, the keynotes are either completely content free and or they're going to be online. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to watch those live. Well, you can watch them live. A lot oh, that's, of them. some of them you can, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't. But I this, I can certainly watch them later too. That's fine. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just go ticketless, like a lot of people do to WWDC, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll uh, maybe I'll work during the day and help pay for this this uh, junket. And then in the evening, I'll hang out with people and uh, do meetups and go to bars and stuff. Doesn't sound like a bad option. The, the problem is, is the hotel costs. So I was actually thinking, man, I, I'm just not going to go. Or unless I can find someone to share a hotel room with. Right. Like we did. Exactly. I mean, that worked. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, let's let's break down the cost here. So if you, if you consider that you're probably looking at 500 bucks for a decent hotel and, you a know, t- typical, yeah, a night. It's no, we, we figured, who was it that said it's, it's, it's equivalent of buying a brand new Apple watch you did. every day. No, <laughs> I didn't get that. I didn't make that up. So I yeah. heard that someone said, it's like buying a new Apple watch every day and just throwing it away. <laughs> every day you're there. But okay. So you got, you got your hotel, you got your, you know, typical airfare costs. Um, what else? Your, your, your registration, you know, of course meals and there's, you know, you well, don't yeah, spend money on other, because, it's, it's expensive yeah. and, I, and I, I actually did some math, or I did some research here, and I figured it out. It's like Lending Tree, one of these. You know, the, the average mortgage payment in this country is eight hundred and twenty-four dollars. 
And so I figured going to going to Dreamforce is going to cost me at least in, in direct cost, not loss of wages or anything. Which because I'm self-paying and I'm self-employed, the loss of wages are huge, right? Mm-hmm. Don't not counting any of that. This is going to cost me six mortgage payments to go to Dreamforce. <laughs> I mean, look at look at the privilege that's baked into Dreamforce, insisting on having it in San Francisco, where it's going to be the most expensive place basically in the world to have it, because San Francisco can't handle it. It's, just, it's, a, it's an expensive city to begin with. Mm-hmm. Not all of us have that much privilege baked into our lives right. that we can afford to do that. I mean, maybe if you had it at a more reasonable place, we could afford to go without it costing us six. How do I, how do I, how do I explain that to my family? How, how does this? How would this make any sense whatsoever? Well, I mean that I, I agree. I mean that's one reason I'm not going to Trailhead X is because I've spent quite a bit of money this already this year. Went to went to Dreamfort or Texas Dreaming, and then I had my family vacation. Well, and, that's, that's that's separate. That's the Disney World privilege. Well, that, that is, but that. <laughs> so imagine I told my kids, "Sorry, we're not going to, to Disney this year because I want to go to Trailhead." Trailhead X. I mean, and, and I'm not, I'm not, or I'm not complaining to about uh, to to Salesforce oh. that I know you. Yeah, darn yeah. it. There you go. Darn it. Get a ding for that one. Uh, I'm not complaining that, you know, stuff's expensive. I mean, I know it's expensive, but I mean, they, they're they so stubborn. Benioff is so stubborn. This is, you know, he's got to have it in San Francisco. Even though San Francisco can't hold, he cannot handle this event in any sane way. It can't handle it. I mean, look, WWDC has 5,000 attendees. Dreamforce now, they really limit who can go. I know, I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. And so it makes, I mean, it made sense to have it in San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco can handle 5,000 people. You know, we don't know how many people show up to Dreamforce because they don't, they don't publish that at all. All they tell you is how many people registered, including the free registration passes. Hmm. And that's, you know, what was it, 160,000? I mean, the city just can't handle that. So the, the stubborn insistence that we have it there in a, in a place that can't handle it, the supply and demand curve just shoots off of the page. And, this, and so do costs of everything. Mm-hmm. Ubers are 5X. We paid 5 or 6X search price everywhere you want to go. And because it's a homecoming. It's a homecoming for Mark. That's his hometown. You know, it's, you know, he's the king of San Francisco. This is a, he's a homecoming king that week. That's what, that, that's what this is. He refuses to consider having it in somewhere else like Vegas or somewhere that can handle it. And I just, you know, I think just again, you got to look at the privilege that's just baked into and baked into that. I, it's it's easy for him to say that. Eh, you know, I like San Francisco. This is my home. This is this is our. We're a San Francisco company, so we're gonna have it here. Okay, it's, well, it's, that's that is well, a that is a mighty position of privilege you speak from there, it's sir. It's not just that though. I mean, we we know he's he's highly politically active in San Francisco among, among other places, and that's that's one of his carrots to hang over the city. I bring in 160,000 people. That's a lot of money coming in. That's a lot of revenue. That's a lot of tax dollars. And I know to I know it, uh, it it certainly benefits a certain segment of San Francisco hugely to have that uh, event there. It also tends to drive people out who don't have a lot of privilege. They, they're further and further driven out by not only events like this, but just companies having this many employees in that city. You know, high-paid tech people. But whatever. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking about maybe doing the no ticket thing, and still, and, and, and if I could split a room with someone, share a room, get some work done during the day. Before you volunteer, you should know Jeremy's partial to spooning. 
<laughs> I like being on the outside, not the inside. <laughs> I want to be the spooner, not the spoonie. <laughs> oh. Anyway. All right. Well, I'll save them. I'll save my other stuff. I got some random other stuff, but this, is, we supposed, do, this we, is supposed to be quick. This is supposed to be a we're not dead yet episode. No, we're still alive. Um, there, <laughs> we're, we're, well, we say that. I don't know if, you know, if, if no one hears us say that, did we say it? <laughs> people will hear it. People. I don't know. A lot of you people. Have to go to, you have to go to our website to, play, to download this and somehow, how do you even get an MP3 file onto your iPhone? I know Android, it's easier, right? It's one of those Dropbox. things. Yeah, you have to, like some kind of, yeah, did the Dropbox dance or something. <laughs> and of course, Dropbox's, Dropbox's player sucks. It's like, you know, if you pause it and then close the app for more than 15 seconds, it goes out of memory and you lose your place and there's no controls and, you know, no, none of the stuff you, you, you want out of a podcast player. Oh. Don't let me forget. I have some new swag for you to take with you. Okay. I think it's funny. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're we're organizing a, a meetup. Um, I think of Chuck Liddell and uh, maybe Roger. I can't remember. Are, are have been kind of doing that. It's in the tra- our Trailhead X channel in our Slack. Right. Um, I've been super busy. I haven't really had any, even a chance to to weigh in on that. But I'm sure. I mean, I'm fine with whatever 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 everyone wants to do. Um, I'm getting in Tuesday. So if anyone wants to hang out Tuesday night or whatever, um, let me know. Um, we, we had also talked about not having you lug around a ton of stuff. So did you want to put out a call for if someone wants a shirt or something to let you know specifically to bring it? So you don't have to bring the whole, the whole, the whole box. Yeah. Cause I probably, I'd probably ship it maybe ship the box. I mean, it's up to you. You can either ship the whole thing and have to lug it around, or you can just take requests for people who really, really want something. I mean, if they really want a shirt, I can just, it'd be easier for me to ship it from here, just to their, you know. Well, there's some people that, that are I don't coming, know if I'm taking anything. Well, there's some people that are coming in from like the UK, like uh Well, so we talked about, we might bring a, bu- a box of shirts for Sean to take back to the UK. So. I don't even know if Sean's going to be there. Oh, he might not. But didn't weren't we weren't we talking about that or was or was that about we Dream? were that he, he thought he might be able to head okay. to Texas Dreaming, but he, oh, okay. it wasn't something yeah. he he ended up yeah. being able to do. So I don't know. Well, if anyone's coming from the UK, that because that would be a place where we would be willing to send. That, that's my main concern is right? those people who who it's very difficult or near impossible for us to ship to. You know, let us. I, I would say just let us know and we'd bring something. Yeah. And where else do we have listeners? I know the the Southeast Asia contingent. You know, you got your. You're uh, Australia, New Zealand. So if anyone's coming from there that wants to take some shirts, Hydrabot! Back, yeah, Australia. <laughs> I don't think we. I don't know if we have any listeners. I don't think we have any Indian listeners. Yeah, if you look at the stats. Yes, we do. No, look at the stats. It's almost nothing. Ah, I don't believe that. Okay. Do you not look. believe that? You anyway. sir are a liar. All right, uh, and it, yeah. So so check out the Trailhead X uh, channel in our Slack, in which you I think. I think you can still uh, register for Slack. Uh, that's not hacked yet. And so you do that by going to gooddaysirpodcast.com, click on community, and you just have to give us your email address and John will set you up. And I am back, and so I am able to fulfill those requests. Yep. I was a few, I was late on a few people, but... Uh, well, I would say, you know, uh, write a review for us and give us some stars and all that, but that's just, uh, it's not going to, it's not a possibility anymore. So, hey, that's at least one less thing I have to say. <laughs> I'm sure people are sick of hearing that anyway, but... Now you just have to, you literally have to go share us word of mouth. That's what you have to do. So, yeah, all this, all the things. All the things. All right. Well, into that, I say good day, sir.
You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.